Uh, hey, this is Ross Baden with Roleplaying Public Radio. Uh, I'm here with Caleb and uh, Rob Boyle, and we're doing, uh, this is the panel, RPPR Game Design, uh, Everyday Hustling, uh, being a wannabe, uh, or trying to get published in the you RPG. You too can be barely scraping by. Yes. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, how to get supplemental income. Uh, so we're talking about, like, freelancing work, Kickstarter, uh, Patreon. I've been doing that for the last six months. Uh, so, and... Uh, Rob can talk about the professional side of, you know, actually getting nice books out on a timely fashion, and, uh, hiring people. And that kind we of haven't quite figured so that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, um, if any of you, uh, we do a podcast, uh, Caleb and I, called Roleplaying Public Radio. Uh, we uh, have some episodes available on a Pirate Box here uh, and some PDFs. If you have a Wi-Fi device and look for RPP or podcast server, uh, you can download some PDFs, uh, MP3s of our podcast. Uh, actually, we put the Eclipse Face uh, main book on there, so uh, if you want to see what Eclipse Face is like, you can download it through that. Should we just get the shameless self-promotion out of the way now? And uh, well, we're giving some context of who we are. Okay, and what we're yeah. Doing. yeah. Okay, so I'm Caleb. <laughs> uh, you can buy my book. No soul left behind at the Arc Dream booth. Uh, booth 709. Yes, I also uh, freelance for uh, Rob and folks in the studios. Uh, uh, I am author of No Security, Arsenaries and the Great Suppression, and uh, not suppression, depression, uh, and uh, uh, author of Red Markets, which is an upcoming R- RPG. So that's what I'm doing. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Rob Boyle. I'm the Eclipse Haze line developer for Posthuman Studios. I've uh, worked on lots of other RPGs and with other companies in the past, like uh, FASA and FAMPRO. Worked on Shadowrun for about 10 years. Uh, yeah. Yes, the actual expert. We brought one. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I guess I'll moderate a little bit. So I, I guess we just start at the beginning of the process. So what do you do if you haven't written an RPG, like breaking in kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. So what, what's your advice for that, uh, Ross and Rob? Uh, well, I can talk about... Um, what I did, uh, which I started writing uh, RPG stuff professionally in the sense that I got money for it. Uh, not much, but, you know, some money. Um, around 2005, and uh, if you're not familiar with DriveThruRPG and RPGNow.com, um, you, should, you should be uh, if you want to get in the industry because that's where most of the largest, that's the single largest retailer, RPG, PDF, you know, ebook products. Uh, and they're now a print-on-demand company. Uh, but there are a lot of companies uh, that are do PDF-only products, and these are usually very specific stuff. So I started writing like D20 Modern classes for uh, LPJ uh, design, um, and I was only paid like 50 bucks per, but it was a few thousand words. And that's, that's how I started. So I started establishing writing credits um, through that, and then I started working my way up. I got published in Knights of the Dinner Table magazine. Uh, and I would look for publishers that had open calls and submission guidelines, and I would just look to see what was available, and uh, I would just start, you know, working on that. And uh, from that, I was able to get more credibility, and then I started coming to Gen Con and pitch publishers' ideas. And uh, so that's, but that's that's how I started was um, through that. So I would recommend starting with specific small products that you can show, you can meet a deadline, that you can write like get words on paper or on a screen that people will like and will actually want to pay money for. So that's sort of the first hurdle to get through. Uh, I'd say one of the biggest ways to get work, like freelance work in this industry, is to get to know people. Uh, Because 
uh, cold calling companies basically to try to get work is gonna you're gonna find it's difficult. Uh, the best way is to come to Gen Con. Uh, go to the places that people that work at game companies hang out, like go to Diana Jones Awards, go to Ennies, uh, go to booths and talk to people and just get to know them so that they know your face and they know your name uh, and if you become a regular. Because so many people in this industry, the way they assign work is they'll, they're more likely to assign it to someone they know, like a face they know. Uh, and if you're actually going to submit stuff, be sure to actually follow their submission guidelines, like uh, sending stuff in blind generally. Uh, there's a good chance that they won't read it. Uh, like a lot of companies actually have a policy that they won't read anything that wasn't solicited directly because it's for your protection as well as theirs. Um, and uh, so, and if you are going to send something in, keep it short. Like send in your best material. Yeah. Um, and uh, hope for the best. And don't be afraid to keep bugging them uh, because a lot of times they won't respond or you know might not respond right away. Uh, you know, you don't need to bug them every day, but you know, drop in a little reminder every every couple months or so. Uh, I think that's a good way to go about it. Uh, I got started in gaming at all. I'd never played an RPG uh, all the way through until I started playing with Ross in like 2007. Uh, and as a result of the podcast, I kind of lucked into being able to piggyback on his fan base. Um, so I started off by self-publishing, uh, but. Obviously, it's the first thing I've ever done, so I did a ransom project, which is you kickstart it, but if it meets, you make the product, it goes free online, anybody can have it. Uh, that's since been turned into a book, and it's now pay what you want, and the gaming community is so great and supportive that I make an order of magnitude more on pay what you want than I do on the print product. That's not... It's an order of magnitude mathematically. It's not. It's not a big number, um, but I, I do, uh, and so that is something else uh, I would recommend because if you can get it out there for free, like working for free is something you don't want to work for exposure or anything like that. But if you do it yourself, that helps with the networking thing. Like when you talk to people that have, you know, never met the weird pasty do hanging around his booth, uh, <laughs> that he can at least Google your name and see one thing that you've done. If, if it strikes the publisher fancy later. So uh, that, that's how I got started uh, in, in the industry. So, Yeah, I mean, I think um, ever since Kickstarter uh, became really popular, I think that's sort of an alternative. Uh, like when I started around 2005, Kickstarter wasn't around. And uh, But now, if you have... If your ability is good and people can see that in what you write or what you create, I mean, not necessarily, you know, obviously if you're an artist, it's a little different, but um, if you can, you can, there's a lot of people who just start by kickstarting something. They don't have a list of credits. They say, I've got, got a great idea for the game. And if they do well in their Kickstarter, and that's not necessarily raising the most money, but that's me meeting being real meeting your goals like because there's so many kickstarters out there that just screw it up and not just like delayed by a few months but like never released or release a much you know uh, not what you promised or you know miss certain stretch goals or things like that so um that's enough if you don't want to have to deal with publishers if you want just want to like screw it i can do it myself uh, then that's you know perfectly it's more i would say much more challenging to do that than just writing for someone else and having them do all the work of uh, editing it and getting art and getting it published. Um, but yeah, there, so that's something to consider. Uh, all right, so we're off to the races now. Yeah. Uh, so what are some common pitfalls you guys see or struggle with in writing your own stuff or uh, 
if you're an artist, what's some stuff you see here from artists that uh, maybe some mistakes to avoid when you're freelancing and soliciting work? I, obviously, you have a much longer list than we do, but I know Ross has started soliciting scenarios from uh, Peter, yeah. the lovely uh, boiling point for Base Raiders. Plug, plug, plug. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, so what what kind of stuff do you see in that to you know, pitfalls to avoid? Uh, so for artists specifically. Uh, it's always good to have you know, a really good online portfolio that specifically shows uh, a diversity of work. Because like I, for example, work mostly on sci-fi games, and I get so many artists that only have fantasy portfolios. You know, so, and I'm specifically looking for artists that can do sci-fi. And if I don't see any technological stuff, like, I'm likely to put them on the back burner you know, and look for somebody else. Um, and then if you actually do get work, actually, you know, don't take on more than you can handle. <laughs> um, make sure you follow the guidelines. Uh, you know, most companies have like technical and style guidelines and actually, you know, it helps to actually read that stuff, especially like for the game I work on, some of the stuff can be pretty complex, you know, and so it really helps if you know the source material. It takes a little more investment, but um, I'm more likely to give you work if I feel like you actually grok the setting, you know, and, and we'll do characters that fit it well. Um, and uh, I will generally drop artists that don't meet their deadlines. Sometimes I'll give them a second chance, but if they flake on the deadlines, like it can be pretty problematic for us if we have a, you know, especially if we're like rushing something to print right before Gen Con. And we usually, the artwork is usually the last stage of things because it's usually after the book is laid out. Um, so the artwork, you know, you're, you're plugging it into slots. And if that artwork doesn't come in, they have to then go and find a different artist to fill that slot. And that could be... Who has to do it even faster. Yeah, who has to do it even faster. And that's problematic. Usually we'll just cut the art or find a replacement piece or something, you know. Uh, so I'll usually give a second chance, but I usually don't give a third if someone misses deadlines. Um, yeah, that's the biggest thing that separates, I think, amateurs from like working professionals is their ability to meet deadlines. Um, not necessarily every single time, but being honest about what if they say, "Oh, you know, I wrecked my car or something came up, and I'll miss this deadline by this much." If you have open communication, you get that to the people you're working with as soon as possible. Um, that will help separate you uh, from other people but yeah try to make your deadlines as much as possible um the yeah, other if you're gonna blow a deadline be early telling so. yeah because yeah. <laughs> they have to work with you yeah um another thing yeah just um for writers you know clarity of uh text and uh one thing i don't see, I, I would like to see more outlining of like what what do you oh i want to write for you okay well what do you want i want to do this well Okay, you then I want to do a supplement about stuff, and I'm like, okay, well that's not okay. Well, what what's going to be in it? Well, I know new items for your game. Like, okay, what kind of item? I have to keep asking them questions. Like, uh, try to be very specific about what you're trying to pitch to them if you're pitching to publishers. Like, um, you know, each game line. You know, if they have a website, they might have submission guidelines uh, of like what they're looking for. Um, but also just try to write so that they basically the idea if you're working for as a freelancer you want to give them as much value as possible without like minimizing the amount of work that they have to do if you miss a deadline that's more work that they have to do if you are riddled with typos and errors that's more work that they have to do if you don't understand the setting that you're writing for like you uh you know think klingons are an eclipse phase then well you know that's uh <laughs> 
Um, Only in one hand. I'm going to have to revise some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not Stargate, it's a Fargate, yeah. Uh, so you want to be the person that makes their job easier, not the one that makes their job harder, you know, uh, if that makes sense. So. If you're going to pitch, I suggest, like, giving the person reading the pitches lots of places to exit at levels of investment. Like, you need to start with, like, an elevator pitch couple of sentences this is what it is executive summary yeah if they are more curious they can go on the next page it's like all right i'm gonna have each specific scenario a little paragraph work that's out if they're more curious still like these are exactly the powers i'm gonna do it's gonna be this long it's gonna be structured this way so like the pitch i gave for uh the campaign source book i just wrote for better angels was uh like eight pages long but you could read the first third of the first page and know what it was about it was very much like all right if you are interested with that much Here's who we don't have to play. Uh, and now what? And now what? The little email game where you keep asking me questions. I have it all planned out already, but I'm also not going to make you read an eight-page thing to understand the basic concept. Yeah, so, don't bury your lead. Yeah. Um, um, what was something else? Uh, I, I think communication is really important. Yeah. Even if you're not going to blow a deadline, if I know if an artist does not get back to me with... And I don't, like, expect, like, oh, my God, five minutes have passed, the world's ending. But, like, if two weeks go by and you haven't, like, sent me, everything's fine, going to be on time, I, I start getting twitchy because gamers are flaky people <laughs> by nature, uh, but you can't be flaky and actually get a book out. So, you know, I always get a little twitchy if I'm just like, hey, how things going? And it, I don't need, like, a full breakdown. You don't need to send me whatever you're working on in a half-finished form. You just say, fine, on track, that, yeah. that, that's it. But, like, that level of communication, I need, to, I need that back within a week. Like, after that, I start, you know, twigging out, and that's not going to make me want to work with you more. So different com- When it comes to our work, different companies will have, have different policies. Like, some will want to see, like, really rough thumbs. Some won't really care until you have, like, a more detailed sketch. You know, some are going to want to see, like, several versions of that as you're going. Some are only going to want to see one or two, you know, so make sure you're following kind of what that company's guidelines are when you're dealing with them. Um, one thing also... Um if you're working for someone else, if you're writing for someone else, uh, especially if it's another setting, um, don't, you know, it's about what they want, not what you necessarily want. Like, if your thing is robot dinosaurs and you just love robot dinosaurs and you, like, I want to write robot dinosaurs for your game, like, and they say no, write this, and then you accept it, but then you try to sneak in robot dinosaurs, you're not really helping out. Like, just, like, you know, you everyone has their own favorite themes or things that they like to work in a in a game or whatever they're creating but if you're working in someone else's playground you know try to respect their rules so don't try to you know uh square hole your square peg you know round hole that kind of thing so. yeah i mean ken height wrote nice black agents with his jason Bourne meets vampires imagine if ken height wrote a jason Bourne game and you pitched yeah it's jason Bourne, but with vampires in it like you're gonna be absurd like uh, like oh yeah this taught political thriller and now there's Dracula like yeah. it, it needs to be consistent and you need to know enough about the person's setting uh, to you know but that's just research basically that's, yeah. that's the networking thing all over again so. yeah definitely um, I guess I'll talk about contracts at all oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That. that's a good idea yay contracts uh, so Stress you should always if you're, if you're freelancing you should always make sure you get contracted for your work um, and you know there's 
I would say there's a couple of things that are fair you should always look for. Like if you're an artist, you probably always want to make sure that you have the right to, you know, uh, sell your own prints uh, and that you can use the work in your own portfolio and things like that. It's not always in the basic contracts, so make sure it is. Um, you know, sometimes you might want to ask, depending on who you're working with, and you know, uh, you might want to ask for something more like royalties, like if your work gets reused, uh, things like that. Um, uh, same thing with writing, or just always make sure that you know if the basics are covered. Uh, uh, make sure everything's in the in the contract, and that you know, uh, make maybe make sure that there's a. Sometimes contracts have kill fees, like if they cancel on you, uh, you know, that's sometimes a good protection. So if you get halfway through a project, you've written three quarters of it, and then they decide they don't want it, at least they pay you something still. Um, uh, uh, make sure you have like revisions and stuff in the contract. If they send you a draft yeah. that the person has not learned how to use a comma yet, you need in the contract saying like, "Okay, thank you for sending this in. Fix this now." Otherwise, they'll be like, "Well, no, you do it." Like, and, and you want that. Um, I know with art, I do. I don't know how you guys do art. I do milestones. So like, if it's a black and white piece, I usually do two milestones: a sketch, so we can talk about basic composition. You know where the marge is going to be out, I believe that kind of stuff. And then a final draft. And then if it's color, I do uh, a sketch completed color. Uh, and I've got three milestones. And I usually split up payment, either 50-50 for black and white pieces. All right, you did milestone one. Here's 50% of the payment. You give me milestone two with revisions, then I give you the other half. Or I do 25-25-50. So, like, thank you for the sketch. Thank you for the final black and white. Thank you for the color. Like uh, you never want to be like payment up front. You never want to give people money and hope that they do it. I don't care if they're your family. That's a bad idea. Uh, you really want to split out so people don't. Didn't somebody run out on base raiders art? Uh, I've had a couple of artists flick out on me. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it happens. I mean, yeah. yeah. Some some people will just uh, quit on you uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, there was one artist in particular who I paid up front because he was a, he's like a published comic, a book artist, and he's got a bunch of credits, and I made the foolish mistake of thinking I could trust him, and then he just bailed. Like, he sent in one sketch, and that was it. Uh, and it... Uh, and the money amount of money was too low for me to like to take it to small claims court or anything like that. So it was. Uh, yeah, but if you stagger like that, even if they just send you a rough sketch, yeah. like there are artists who like like the challenge of cleaning that stuff up and finishing yeah. it. Like you can still use that to get to a product faster than you would have if they didn't turn it in. But yeah, don't don't pay up front. Yeah. It, you should pay close attention to the payment terms because a lot of companies will do say like uh, pay upon uh, print like when the when the project gets uh, actually printed or completed um, or they'll pay like six months afterwards or something like that which can actually be kind of dangerous because let's say you finish the work and turn it in and then they delay it for a year that means you don't get paid for over a year you know so yeah pay close attention to that stuff. Yeah, when and where, when and how you get paid is Also, important. have another job. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really big advice. Don't do this full time. Uh, have another job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's good advice. Um, do you want to talk about licensing stuff? Or, you know? Um, well, like for we're talking about like from the freelancer's point of view. I mean, well, I mean, well, if you yeah. self-publish something, you want to okay. If you have oh, to okay. copyright protected, okay, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah, if you're self-publishing something, there's an entirely different set of considerations. Like if you're publishing a book and you self-publish it, um, you should, of course, 
copyrighted, submitted to the Library of Congress for copyright protections because everything is automatically copyrighted, but it gives you more protection. Uh, you know, I'm not a lawyer. You, you can read, but the Library of Congress has a fact that will explain copyright. Uh, you know how to fill out the, how to do the form. You can do it online, um, and yeah, it's very important that you, uh, if you do a full book, you should try and you know protect it legally. Um, but uh, yeah, if you have art, there are yeah. What do you do for art licenses? Like, I mean, general like just by printing something, you, yeah. you're, you're trademarking it. You can then, you can also go through the process of doing like a registered trademark for like things like logos or certain designs and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it costs money, you know, uh, and you have to you have to make sure no one else has like similar sort of trademark beforehand. So you generally have to hire a lawyer to do that kind of research for you. Um, and then beyond that, it's, you know, it's, there's also considering like what kind of, if you want to do any type of license, like an open gaming license or a Creative Commons license when you release it, uh, which if you're starting from scratch and if you don't really have an audience yet, like doing something like a Creative Commons license might actually work out pretty well because mm -hmm. it, you know, it lets people share your work and uh, it, it's more like a, a publicity boost. And yeah. It helped us a lot with Eclipse Days, you know, starting a brand new sci-fi game. Uh, is is a challenge uh, getting people to pay attention to it by putting up with, with, by, with a Creative Commons license drew a lot of eyes to it and really helped get it out there. It's going to be pirated, so be nice to the pirates. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Like you could so, like the PDF of the main Eclipse Face book is on this thing right now, and if you have Wi-Fi device, you can download the PDF right now, and that's legal. Kill you if you download. <laughs> <No. laughs> uh, um, but yeah, that it's a it's. Uh, yeah, some people aren't comfortable with that, but yeah, it's certainly something like uh, the game I did, Base Raiders, has an OGL open game license uh, because I used uh, it uses Fate, uh, which uh, is part of the open game license. So, mm -hmm. um, and there's this transitive thing: if you write, use, you can use open game license content, but then everything, then that stuff is still part of the same license. So yeah, so they can use your yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Just say one side thing. If you're designing a new system and let's say you want to use a percentile system, obviously there's been lots of percentile systems out there before. So the way copyright works is actual game rules uh, are systems like that are not copyrightable. It's the text about the game rules that is copyrightable. So if you want to use a percentile system that's exactly like Call of Cthulhu more or less, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, or if you want to, you know, it, what is going to matter is if you're using text, like if you use almost you know, the exact same wording for everything, or, or if you copy text from something else, that's problematic. But if you just want to emulate a system that's already out there, it's generally not a problem. Um, um, now, yeah. with the caveat that you know, certain companies that happen to have be rather large and have big budgets and lots of lawyers might not necessarily agree to that um, and might see that as a challenge. But generally, the way the game industry works, especially with most of the smaller companies, is like that sort of thing. Yeah, isn't a problem. If there's weird copyright stuff, most of the time you can figure out like where you need to be careful just by asking around. So I, I work in like the Cthulhu space too, and, and then just asking around about licensing, I heard some of the crazy stuff like that is and is not copyrighted in there. Like I can use a buy a key, but only spell it with one e, and I can't use a picture. <laughs> but I got it. Yeah, that and, and so like yeah, that was I, then I was just like hands off of Lovecraft. I'm gonna make up my own monsters. <laughs> I do not want any part of that. Uh, but if there's something weird, like people who are in that industry are going to like tell you about it. Uh, you don't have to like you know go to the Library of Congress and yeah. like. Yeah. Stacks or anything like that. Um, 
for art, I know the artists I work with, they are very, uh, they hate when companies don't let them reuse the art in the portfolio. They can't reuse, your, reuse their own art non-commercially. Because uh, that's something a lot of, like, some like concept art for like video games and, and, and stuff like that, they will have that in their contract. Like you can draw it, you give it to me, and then you might as well just burn it because you can't even put it on your own website, something like that. So you're you're not that big if you're in this panel. <laughs> and we are not, the, uh, you know, so I, you know, give your artists the right to non-commercially reproduce their own work on their own website because that's how they get diverse portfolios is they're getting paid for work and then they're adding it to it. It really sucks if you're just like, I'm going to print my book and it's never going to exist anywhere else again. Uh, so you want to give them that like, yeah. Uh, what else should we talk about? Well, do you guys have questions? Yeah. Uh, like, how many of you guys are want to be writers? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, how many of you are aspiring artists? All right. Uh, <laughs> writers. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what kind of, like, do you guys already have publishing credits? Do you want to, are you trying to make that? I mean, it's not as big of a step as you think it is. I'm th Not in this industry. Like, it's it's a very minor step. It's like an incline, really, more than stairs. Anyways. Uh, so, yeah, do we have any questions? Uh, yeah. I'm almost done writing an RPG mm -hmm. and want to get on the path towards self-publishing. Okay. Or potentially publishing with one of the big companies, but as an engineer, I have no experience within this particular realm. I just like playing these games and want to make one sure. that I most want to play. Um, you were talking about kickstarting or mm -hmm. finding publishers. How do you even go about finding the publishers that want to publish the things you want to publish? Uh, publisher websites, again, they will have if they usually have something on there, especially if they're established, if they, they will have uh, submission guidelines uh, for new systems or scenarios or whatever they want. If not, they'll at least have contact information, so you could just email them and ask. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of the publishing companies, if they're usually not looking for new systems or usually more looking for content for their existing systems. I mean, that's that's obviously a generality. Uh, they do uh, buy new systems. So is yours like a fantasy or is it a sci-fi? It's a steampunk fantasy. Steampunk fantasy, so... Is it so, just clarification, is it your own setting or your own setting and system? Both. Both, okay. System. So setting system. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say like... There are some companies that I might be able to pitch a new system to now, but most of them are probably not going to accept whole new systems unless they've already worked with you before. So when it comes to freelancing, like the thing to do in addition to networking is like get involved in the community. I, I ran like a 40-session Eclipse Face campaign and lived on the forums for a while before I ever worked for, for Rob. Uh, so that's a way to get your foot in the door. And after you have that relationship people are going to be more amenable to listen to full system. If you're if it's your own system, I would suggest self-publishing it through Kickstarter. But the big mistake to that to avoid in that kind of stuff is uh, and it makes me sad because I, I occasionally see people who have really interesting RPG projects and really interesting games that just start a Kickstarter. They're not on a podcast, they don't have a blog, they don't have a Twitter account. It's just, hi, I'm new to this internet thing, give me money. Uh, and it just tanks, and that makes me so sad because, like, I lucked into that. I did not have to work for that. So Ross built RPPR from the ground up, and I piggybacked on, like, thousands of people downloading that, and that made my Kickstarter a bigger success than it had any right to be the first one I did because I was literally an unknown entity. But you have to do, like, a social media campaign. you got to get on podcasts, get on forums, get yourself Twitter notes. If you're, if you're going to crowdfund something like that, don't just come in cold 
like you will have to do your own marketing work. So I think Caleb's absolutely right. If you're going to pitch an entirely new game system and setting, you're going to have a really hard sell with just with most game companies. I mean, the reality is most of the game companies that are out there right now are fairly small and they're overworked and they don't have <laughs> yeah. a lot of people that are <laughs> that are actual full-time employees uh, and they're pretty focused on their own stuff. Um, so your best bet is to start small working on game lines they already have and just get known by them and then kind of once you're in the door and they you know they know you're solid then you can start pitching something more like your own game line or something like that but to go cold is going to be really difficult um but the main thing is it, it, when you want to do that and what and the one thing you should be able to do with your game is to have like the elevator pitch for it um, and that's sort of more of like a Hollywood Hollywood term but like the idea is like you're in the elevator with you know uh, someone at a company and they could buy your game they would be in theoretically in the market but you only have that elevator trip to sell them so you have to like sell them that game sell them that idea in like like a minute two minutes most and um, the thing is that elevator pitch also becomes your marketing you know hook uh, to sell your game to customers so like for Eclipse Phase uh, it's a game of transhuman sci-fi horror you know you could talk about you can upgrade your mind your body uh, your mind to software uh, and you know Rob you could pitch it pretty uh, yeah. more eloquently like yeah. I, I have a little speech that I've got yeah. condensed down yeah. in one minute that I give to everybody that comes at the booth yeah <laughs> so you could like yeah go to the booths and hear their elevator pitches their demo yeah. pitches and just get a sense of like what makes your game unique out of all the games that exist in the universe why should I spend my time and energy reading your game buying your game learning you know uh, your game there's something about it that will make people love it I have and, another okay good okay, okay. Uh, so yeah and I know we're not buying anything but just for yeah. everyone's edification like you say steampunk fantasy so like you also have to be aware what's on the market so like when I pitched your game I would say anything except steampunk and fantasy it's like a poem that's about love if you use the word love no one's gonna feel that uh, so I'm writing a game that includes zombies. I can't say zombies because everyone instantly shuts off. <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, God. Like, they're just head hits the table. Uh, so I'm like, it's a game of economic horror. Because it is. Zombie apocalypse happens. Uh, it's unevenly distributed. You got the shaft. So the people who don't have zombies need stuff they left behind. You need food and medicine. So you work. Like, you, you don't, like kill zombies to survive in a dark wasteland, you network online and you bid for contracts and there's supply demand charts and it's all it's a poverty simulator without the horrific exploitation I would take if I'm like, you're playing human traffickers, you're playing drug dealers. Like, it's nerd-troped. Uh, it's nerd-troped so it's not like horrific and exploitative, but I, I, I wrote it during a year where I was like heinously unemployed because I made the horrible mistake of trying to freelance full-time. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> Being on the wrong side of capitalism is scarier than any monster I've ever seen. Like, it's constant and everywhere. So uh, that's my pitch for that game. But I had to learn the hard way. Like, it's a zombie game. Could, I'm like, where are you going? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you, you have to... You have to give the one thing. So there are zombies in it. They do eat people. They're zombies. Uh, I, I'm not denying that. But you want to put forward the thing that's not that. So yes, your game is steampunk fantasy. It's a game where scientific and industrialization principles have been applied to a mystical dark age society. Yeah, there you go. That's much better than the than using the terms. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you don't want like I would not pitch Eclipse Phase. Oh, it's sci-fi. 
Yeah, it's like all those other sci-fi games. Yeah, no, no, there's some weird stuff going on in there. Uh, so I like it. Yeah, you you want to put that forefront marketing-wise. Everybody, generally. Yeah. So. Uh, other questions? Yeah. And to piggyback off that, um, I've got a setting I've made, but it's not my system. How do you go about What's the system? Um, originally it was the D20 system, so either Wizards of the Ghost or Pathfinder, that one had yeah. Well, I mean, is OGL, right? Yeah, yeah, D20 stuff is OGL, open game license. Have you, if you, have you seen that like really fine legal text in the back or the front of any of those D20 books? Yeah, you read it and you, yeah, yeah, you can use it. Just copy it and use it. So you don't have to. Uh, you can self publish it. So. Um, is that so? Yeah, don't feel bad about not. Yeah, know, what's OGL you know. now? Fate. Gumshoe. Gumshoe. Gumshoe is uh, also Creative Commons. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah D, uh, D20. Yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah. Uh, and those are great. I mean, like... Fudge. I mean, God, if... <laughs> If somebody was going to sue people for fate, they'd be very busy. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, okay, so that's your whole day right there. So, you, so your system is open; you can use it. You can publish it yourself. Is that does that answer your question, or do you need yeah, more? It's the setting that's mine. There. Oh like, yeah. Like well, one thing. Um, one thing about the open game license is read it because. Um, it, you will say that they will. There's, I think it's like product identity or something like that. You you can designate certain chapters. These chapters are open game license content, which would be like your rules, your mechanics, the stuff you're copying from. But you can also specify that the setting chapters are still yours, and you cannot freely use those. Mm-hmm. So like base raiders, the setting stuff, I, um, you know. Uh, do not have OGL. I just have the rules, and the, I have new game mechanics that I added for that game that are OGL. But like the setting material, I I left. So you can designate what's open game license and what's not. Anything that you're copying from has to remain open game license. You can't steal it, you know, or close it off. But you can, anything new that's unique to you, you can keep. Um, or or you can go like share, share alike, so you can share this. Just don't profit off of it. Yeah, like, they're I, different. I would love you to contribute to my setting and contribute to the community and write scenarios in my setting. And I want you to give that to all your friends. So don't charge them because yeah. that's my because that helps build. I think that's uh, the biggest part of Eclipse Phase's community is the fact that you have mm-hmm. so many people. There's some great fans contributing products, yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's lots of good stuff out there. Uh, so. Yes. If you're using an OGL, are you able to remove mechanics, modify mechanics, and add your own? Um, they have to remain open game license. They have to remain OGL. Yeah. But yeah, you can modify okay. it. Okay. So, like, yeah, D20 Modern obviously changed it from D20 Fantasy and they're like Spycraft. Uh, if you remember that, that's a D20 derivative. I don't even think they took it from D20 Modern. I think they just took it from Third Ed and just added guns and spy stuff to it. And hey. Boy. To go further afield, stuff like Trisat B20, where you know, oh, yeah. take out half of the core of the game, yeah, but it's still, yeah, three sets. Um, because tribe means three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <no> <laughs> wow, <laughs> the more you know, today you learn something, uh, at least one thing. Um, other questions, yeah, uh, I can also talk about Patreon, and that's new if anybody wants to talk about that. Um, are, are, are you all familiar with Patreon? Uh, yeah, but how are you using it on game for? Okay, uh, Patreon is a new crowdfunding website resource uh, instead of Kickstarter, where you have a campaign that's like, I want to raise ten thousand dollars in thirty days, and you either get all of it or not. Or Indiegogo, where you can do flex funding, which is kind of a bad idea usually. Uh, but um, 
Patreon is set on either a per month or per item of content generated and say like if you pledge this much per month then you will get this per month and so like I do a monthly podcast and so I create a bonus podcast and if you contribute at least two dollars a month you get access to that bonus podcast it's behind the Patreon paywall if you do five dollars you get this content if you get ten dollars you can I'll run a game through Google Hangouts once or twice a month and you can get in the list of players who can join that um, and there's a lot of artists and writers doing that now and there's even game companies I know like Art Dream has uh, Dennis Detweller one of the Delta Green writers has a Patreon where he re- releases Delta Green content behind the Patreon. And he's and he's using distribute playtest stuff, so it's yeah. not like he's just getting paid to do it. He's, he's getting paid to do it, and then he's getting vital feedback for another yeah. book he's doing. Uh, so, so that's... Yeah, if Kickstarter is a big suitcase full of money... Uh, Patreon is a is a salary check from crowdfunding. Yeah, it's you a get it every month, uh, which, which can be nice for certain projects. Is that Kickstarter? Your art goes over, your pages go over, the printer changes their costs, the Republicans get a hold of international shipping rates again. Like <laughs> a lot of that money that you thought you had, uh, that just poof overnight. Like. Um, I tried to do figurines for my first uh, Kickstarter as, as little bonuses. The the prototype got lost in the mail twice, and then the third one got hit by Sandy. And so there's some little little monster figurine floating around the ocean right now. And so I had to, I had to pay for that like I had to pay for that four times, and then I had to get them all made, and those prices stayed the same. But then shipping jumped. Astronomical. That was a big change where like people just stopped offering international shipping in Kickstarter after that postage hike, and like that's one of the downsides of Kickstarter because once that meets, that's how much money you have to work with and absolutely no more. Whereas uh, unless you do another Kickstarter, uh, (laughs) (laughs) or you could be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Patreon is good because you you know you get that supplemental stuff that can help out. Yeah. The thing. Oh, the one thing I do want to mention is crowdfunding is not free money. Obviously, Uh, it is. Believe it or not, I mean, there's a lot of people who do think it is. Uh, It's about leveraging your existing network of fans like I do we do a podcast and we built we've been doing it since like 2007 and so like we've got a lot of listeners and uh, that really helps like and so when Eclipse Face you guys did a really great Kickstarter for was it, it was Transformer right? yeah yeah oh, man. Um, and you you got a lot of money from it because we had an existing fan base but yeah could uh, you talk about running a Kickstarter yeah. that's successful like uh, sure uh, I mean I think I think there's two main keys to doing a Kickstarter. One is making sure your initial goal isn't too high. A lot of companies make the mistake that, like, okay, say you're making a book and you're spending, whatever, 15000 on art and writing, and you're spending another 15000 to print it or whatever. So you're looking at 30000 plus in costs. So you, do a, you think, I'm going to do a Kickstarter for thirty grand to cover it. But... You know, you're more likely to be successful if you run a Kickstarter for more like ten or fifteen grand, and as long as you meet your base goal, you know your your Kickstarter is more likely to explode at that point. So you kind of need to figure the costs you can cover on your own first, and then just figure out what's the difference, and then try to try to make your initial goal really I think as as small as possible. I yeah. think that helps a lot. Um, but, you know, because there have been some companies that have done Kickstarters pretty high, like sixty or seventy grand, thinking that they cover their costs, and they've done it, but it's been a real challenge for them to do. Whereas if they'd done it lo- lower, it might have blown up a lot more. Um, 
the other thing is don't go crazy with your stretch goals. Uh, too many people go way overboard throwing on stretch goal extras and not fully accounting for the, all the extra costs that entails or all the extra shipping or just all the extra time investment it takes because that sucks away energy from your main project. And uh, I've seen way too many people blow up their Kickstarter that way. Um, I mean, to use an example like Chaosium, uh, they did the horror on the Orient Express. Um, and, you know, they're really good at writing, cre- putting out Call of Cthulhu RPG stuff, uh, books. But, like, the Orient Express had a lot of stretch goals and extras and add-ons that were, like, little, basically, tchotchkes, you know, like coffee mugs and... Toothpicks. Toothpicks. Oh, my God, yeah. And there was, like, a chest. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah oh, my God. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and that's not what... They don't know anything about making toothpicks. And guess what? It takes more money and energy to make those toothpicks than you think, you know? Uh, There's a toothpick cartel. Yeah. Well, I'd say the intern on it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's probably what they did. Their yeah. final box, not everything even fits in the final box. Like, it, it kind of barely fits. And it's, yeah, you could see it. At the, thing they, has have, like they have some copies. 60 pounds. The shipping has to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, one reason, one way you can kind of deal with both those things, uh, that good advice, is that um, in minimizing your load cars, you know, have stretch goals ready before you launch the Kickstarter. Like, it's not like you're... It's not day one DLC. You're not you're not a AAA gaming company. Cut down to minimum viable product, and that's your minimum goal. And now you have stretch goals, prearranged. They're already part of the book. They're directly what people are paying for. People aren't paying for toothpicks. They want you to write a book, or they want art, or they want stuff like that. Uh, I love the part because it was the first time I saw it in the Transhuman. Is just like. Uh, well, obviously, I love the part. Where it was like, we're just going to give the freelancers a raise if we hit this goal. <laughs> or, uh, I really like, I really like RPGs that are just like, uh, we'll have art every four pages instead of six if we hit this goal. Like, you're just making a better product, and it's very clear. Um, so, yeah, the this podcast is a form of marketing for my next game. Uh, it's our VR uh, game designers workshop messing up in real time. Uh, I, I I took the the moment I had the inception of the game and we just reported it in real time and I, I do episodes every time I hit a new goal because it's my first brand new system and so that's part of the marketing kind of stuff uh, and, and you can work that as well but when I launch that it's going to have a setting chapter it's going to have the player rules and it's going to have the GM chapter it's going to be black and white soft cover that's it but I will have two additional setting chapters added on people waiting in the wings to write scenarios for it uh, extra art per pages because I'll have people like say I might contract you for this much or this much depending on this uh, and all that stuff I, my plan is to have as much of it ready for the Kickstarter before it goes out as possible because like I may not be able to all in because like if I include it it's going to be a 400 page book that's a lot to print especially if you go color glossy hardcover yeah. man those prices stack so like uh, don't do less because you're, uh, you know, want to keep the goal down, and don't undershoot yourself so much that you're not going to be able to make it if it doesn't blow up once you hit it. Cut parts off until you get minimum viable product, and then build stretch goals from there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. The the thing is also that that extra work you do for stretch goals, even if you don't make it, that doesn't mean that that work is wasted. Like you could take those setting chapters that you were going to put in the main book and make it a supplement later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the main thing about RPGs is like the ones that do well in my in my 
perspective seem to be the ones that have a game line. They're not just one and done games. I mean, even Fiasco's had supplements come out and like you know with new play settings and stuff like that. So you want to keep. And it helps your sales, especially like on Drive Through RPG. Every time I put out a new little Base Raiders PDF, like there's a spike of sales of people buying the main game. Like, oh, this looks new, uh, because people will check like what's what's been what's new on RPG on Drive Through RPG. What's new on uh, RPG now? Uh, and so you want to keep the game line going. You want to expand it. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Do you have any advice on uh, pricing for Kickstarters? Because I've heard that it's oh, like yeah. 10, 15 markups. Like if your stretch goal is going to cost you $500, you have to actually set it for 650 because yeah. it's going to be taken out. Well, 10% goes basically to, uh, 5% goes to Kickstarter, about 5% goes to the credit card processor. Okay, which so like 10%. Yeah, so it's so about to, and there's all, well... There's also the there's usually about like one percent of people who don't like their pledges don't go no, through. Pledges don't go through. So like I just round it to ten percent because that's easy math and we're writers, not mathematicians. Uh, Speak for yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, and it you just kind of figure out what your budget. You have, the main thing is the budget for yourself too. Like don't. Yeah. How much are you going to value your own time? Yeah. Uh, I, I I I'm a horrible wage thief and I don't pay my workers. I'm my only worker, but I'm horribly exploitative in my labor practices because uh, that's what it takes to get a Kickstarter down. Like if I'm going to skimp on somebody, it's not going to be freelancers I want to work with again. It's going to be yeah. me. Uh, but you know, you got to quantify your own time. How much is that worth? And you need to put so. some money up front, like before you launch a Kickstarter. Like for me, for doing a book, like. I think you need like a color cover of the thing you're wanting like look this is the thing that it, this is what it'll look like you know and so like I pay an artist and I've done a thing where like I tell the artist I'll pay you this much up front and then we'll put it on Kickstarter and the ki- and if the Kickstarter makes it will get, I will uh, pay you the rest of the money but if it doesn't make I, obviously I won't have the money and the, the artist in, uh, fortunately has been willing to take that risk it's, yeah upfront costs are art is really important for doing it like oh god if Red Marcus doesn't meet I don't need to be alone for a while someone <laughs> someone should come watch me yeah for like uh, just if, yeah I, I've, I'm too heavily invested in it now for what may be no money whatsoever if it doesn't meet uh, and it's not like I'm going to lose my house I didn't go overboard but it's it's enough that it's going to sting if it if it doesn't come back but at the same time if it is successful it will be precisely because it wasn't just me in a webcam because everybody wants to pay, pay to see this <laughs> like it's going to be like art that i can show people and not some pasty fat dude uh asking for money on a webcam uh so if it is successful it will be because i invested up front yeah i mean for like transhuman like how did you budget that out for which specifically that uh, the Kickstarter, like did you get a pre-art done or, or anything like that? Or no, I mean we you know we have budgets set for all our books okay. in advance. Uh, yeah, you do, you, yeah. you 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 had several books out before, and so you kind of yeah. yeah. It does get easier when you have a backlog. That's also yeah. another good stretch goal. Yeah. Here's discounted right. copies of the sure. old stuff. Yeah. Um, but you kind of want to yeah you have a budget like think about what you bring to the table as a writer uh, as a creator like do you just write can you do layout can you do art or and then like how many people are you going to need to hire how much are they going to want uh and yeah it's just it's just budgeting really um and it's that's i mean that's a whole topic in of itself uh but um and and if you self-publish you're going to learn a lot of the stuff that we were talking about 
firsthand about the networking stuff because like so when you're self-publishing and you're just doing it yourself and you've got to find somebody to do layoff for you because you don't have InDesign and you don't want to do that uh, you can just randomly search for people on the internet and do emails and it's like the Tinder form of publishing uh, <laughs> or that's going to make you really uncomfortable because that's your money. Like, you you are risking your money on this random stranger. You're going to want to know somebody that you work with, somebody that you have at face face. You can find their house if you need to. <laughs> like, uh, you, you want that, uh, and you're going to understand why it is so much about networking and, and making connections because you don't want to just work with some rando over the Internet that you've never met before, no matter how good his other work might be because you're not sure if he or she is going to come through or not. Yeah. yeah. I, I will say that I do find a lot of artists by just randomly pursuing or perusing portfolios online. Yeah. Because one great thing about the video game industry, uh, it, it has lots of exploitive work practices, but it has lots of great artists that make great money doing video game art that are bored at their job because they're doing the same stuff all the time that would love to do a different type of artwork for, for something interesting on the side once in a while. Mm -hmm. So it's actually not that hard to find really great artists for not insanely expensive if you dig around. Um, yeah, and that's why you have milestones and don't yeah. pay up front. One thing, um, <laughs> we're kind of closing on time, but yeah. uh, for Kickstarters and just in general, uh, would I like to think about like marketing budgets because uh, that's an important aspect. Aside from the production of the thing you want to do, um, you have to tell people here's the thing you want to buy, right? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I'm really lucky in the sense that I have a podcast, and that's my marketing budget is like, hey, buy my book uh, uh, on the podcast, but. Um, and obviously Caleb because he does so much for the podcast obviously buy his book uh, but for like transhuman did you guys have much of a marketing budget for your, like um, I mean there's a million ways you can spend money with for marketing yeah we actually our, our marketing budget is fairly small we, we rely heavily on our distributor to do a lot of that side of things for us uh, but it's tricky like there's a couple publications in the game industry you can go to to put ads in you know there's the greater games industry catalog there's uh, uh uh, alliances, Game Trade Magazine, you know, and stuff like that. There's, it's questionable whether or not they're worth it. <laughs> um, and we generally don't do advertisements in those things. Like, we'll, we'll, we do a listing in GGI. Um, but at this point, most retailers, you know, they can get the information they need on new products directly from the distributor's websites. Mm -hmm. They don't need to rely on those magazines as much anymore. Yeah. And, and I've seen some internet discussions where a lot of retailers say, like, you know, they maybe flip through the magazines and look at a couple of ads, but they don't pay too close attention to that type of stuff a lot. Um, they just rely more on the sellers at their distributor. So it, it pays to have a good relationship with your distributor <laughs> so that they really push your stuff. Yeah. I, I think you should write a game you want to play, and as a result, you're pretty good marketing research in and of yourself. So, for instance, I have a marketing budget for my upcoming Kickstarter, even though I'm definitely going to exploit the hell out of your podcast oh, to yeah. do it. Uh -huh. uh, but, uh, like, I'd love if I could get an ad on Ken Robin for a couple weeks just because, like, you know, I, I, that's my, I listen to them every single week. That's my market. I have supply demand curves in my game. I need that guy that wants to listen to Ken Hyde ramble on about 14th century Germanic court traditions or whatever. Uh, like that—that's my market. I want him to know about my Kickstarter. Uh, so yeah. So you're good researching your own marketing. Like, what kind of? Uh, where do you frequent on the internet? What do you get your gaming news from? Like, if if you wrote the game and you want to play the game, maybe 
similar people on those areas will, and that might be where you put your money. Yeah, so. um, yeah, I mean, the main thing for me is uh, your marketing budget isn't necessarily like buying ads, like banner ads or whatever. It's like getting review copies out to people who would be interested in it, sending out demo kits, like, oh, here's what my game will look like. Um, and just spend and time to like reach out to blogs and podcasts and whatever and say, hey, let's look, look at this. And so that doesn't cost money, you know, usually. Uh, web co- hosting fees. Web you, 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 you definitely need a web uh, a website of some sort. It could mm-hmm. be a blog, be a free blog like on Blogspot or WordPress.com, uh, but a nice standalone with a, your own URL is nice. And that's a whole black hole of time and money oh my and God. energy and yeah uh, but yeah um, so yeah my original website now hosts a jihadist forum because uh, it got hacked three times until I eventually just blew it up uh, so if you search for heaven on games and they're telling you to go behead someone or blow yourself up you've hit the wrong site uh, but yeah yeah that that is its own time. That that's the kind of stuff that makes you learn. You need to you need to quantify your time well. So like, I have three InDesign skills: open InDesign, cry, close InDesign. Um, and I once spent seven hours one day trying to get page eighty nine's page number to show up, like just bashing my head against that. I'm pretty sure Adam can insert stuff like that in his sleep. Like I could have written another book in the time it took me to do that one thing on one page. So like. I, you need to be you need to you know learn as many skills as you can because then you can short yourself on labor but at the same time you also need to know where you're investing your time like I could write entire chapters of books in the time it takes me to do one tiny thing on InDesign uh, so I'm going to hire that out I'm, I'm, I'm just not even going to mess with it it's just a, it's, it's a return on investment thing like uh, I could be autodidactic about it and maybe one day I'll have time to do that but at this point I want to get the book out so I, that's the kind of stuff you hire out. Uh, to use a better example, no one wants to see me draw the art for my book or like stick figures or anything like that. So yeah. Uh, one last question. Yeah, one last question. Anything? As far as uh, getting, say you got your content, you got your art, stuff like that. How do you locate uh, people to actually produce it? Say you were going to do uh, judge rules, miniatures, things like that, any of those kinds of things. How would you locate the companies that could actually do the, the production work? <coughs> Uh, for like miniatures, like it's—I mean, it's different, obviously, for like each thing. To role-playing games, I'm very interested in board games. So okay. Part of one of the reasons, uh, but say even to just get the books printed, or say you wanted a box for it. Or uh, with with books, you have the best thing for someone, especially on a very low budget, is to use print-on-demand. Uh, create space or drive through RPG now is a print on demand service. And one thing you can do is send a coupon to Kickstarter backers and saying, here, you can now get a copy of this book at the at the you printed at cost. At yeah. printed at cost and shipping cost. So you don't have to ship it to them. They just get in and it's more work for the backers and they'll they'll complain about it. But like I don't want to have to go to the post office and spend seven hundred dollars mailing things. So. You got your markup with the with the Kickstarter. Yeah. And I think if you're going to use a distributor, they will require a certain amount of volume. Yeah. So like that's the difference between POD and, and major distributors. Is like if you're going to do less than a thousand, POD is what you want. If you're doing over a thousand, you generally want yeah standard the, offset printing. The more you print, the lower the cost goes per unit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. so drive through also does cards now, and they do mm-hmm. cards in different sizes. They do tiles, and they do boxes for cards now. Like we print. Oh, these, wow. We printed these in the drive-thru, POD. Uh, and, I mean, 
there's a lot of word of mouth in the game industry. Like yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot of game companies actually use the same few uh, few printers, uh, <laughs> like you know, Bang and Taylor and stuff like that. Um, and uh, when it comes to uh, it varies. Like sometimes it's cheaper overseas. Like for a while it's cheaper to print overseas. Now uh, the American companies are competitive again. Um, but when it comes to components, that stuff gets pretty tricky. You tend to, if you really want cheap, you tend to have to go overseas. Like with, yeah, uh, a lot of that stuff. Um, I forget what's the name of that factory in Germany. I don't know. They make like eighty percent of the world's board games. They, yeah, it's uh, yeah. They're a huge distributor. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I watched the How Did This Made about it. Actually. Yeah, you should like uh, if you if you if you're wanting to do like a miniatures or a board game with components, go to the companies of the work you like here at Gen Con and like, hey, who'd you use? And like, that would be your best bet. Yeah. Like, or if you find a company online, find somebody they work for and then get an opinion because like, yeah. if there's like, oh god, they're, they're terrible. Never, yeah, you want to do some research on that. But I, again, I will say that board game components get really expensive unless you're doing large amounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be prohibited. That's yeah, that's yeah. not for the faint of heart, because uh, <laughs> uh, your your miniature can wind up in you know flooding well, the you, ocean. Uh, printing is one thing, but like in your in your game components, they have to it's special machines. Like they're they're machining, uh, you know, factory equipment specifically geared for your game, cutting out molds, you know, yeah. molds template. Like there, there's industrial work going on, so that's going to be way more expensive. Because every time they switch games, they have to do twelve hours of work, you know, underneath the hood of something. So, yeah. Uh, and if you do that, make sure they save your templates in case you need to reprint. Yes. <laughs> fair question. Uh, fair. Good point. All right. Uh, that's. I- that's all for our time. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Uh, please come up and get cards if yeah. you don't already. We have so, stuff. Let me plug more. Plug, plug, plug. All right, thanks. <laughs> you guys. Yeah, tickets. Uh, tickets. Yes. We, have them. we would really appreciate that.